Daily DVR Does Better Call Saul is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com, baby. Yeah! Go over to Cufflinks.com slash DVR today and use code DVR20 at any time to get 20% off your order. No minimum. Also, wanted to tell you about a couple things that are coming up. You can pre-order The Child from The Mandalorian. You can get a tie clip cufflinks pins it's so amazing and if you go to cufflinks.com you can get stuff for any nba team nfl ncaa major league baseball it's all there as well as the geeky stuff go check out cufflinks.com slash dvr today support our presenting sponsor and save baby get awesome products as well cufflinks.com you can get paid for your love Welcome back to Daily DVR Does Better Call Saul. My name is Axel, and of course, my co-host is Ashea. Ashea, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. That's good. <laughs> Me too. Uh, today, we're going to be diving into Better Call Saul, Season 5, Episode 4, Namaste. You can find out more about us at DVR Podcast, become a patron, patreon.com slash DVR, Email us, dvrpodcast at gmail.com. Check out Ashea at Marinese Knot, historyofwesteros.com, patreon.com, history of Westeros. All that stuff is also in the show notes. Let's get into this episode. We, we finished last episode with Jimmy and Kim uh, throwing the bottles off of the balcony, and we start out this episode with a little bit of what I guess was a flash forward to Jimmy yeah, but finding you don't, that, you don't right? realize that yeah. at first, right? Exactly. I was so confused, and it wasn't until you get to the end and you see what the bowling balls were for that you start to question things. Because right after that antique shop scene, we see the immediate morning after their uh, bottle breaking night. Yeah. So that's why I was thinking, uh, I haven't listened to the insider. Um, but I, it always makes me think, and it's the same thing with last week about how the ants thing comes like kind of at the end of the episode, it seems like maybe it was written for him to see those ants again at the end, but they switched it out for, for kind of story beat reasons. And I mm -hmm. wonder with this too, it was originally this scene just stuck in somewhere in between him meeting with Howard and seeing Kim at the courthouse doing his whole courtroom routine. And we could have started with the beer bottles and, and them brushing teeth. Cause we, cause the last couple of seasons, we've had a lot of episodes that kind of start out with them at the sink, waking up, mm -hmm. you know, doing the mundane things. But it wasn't until later, I think we both agree, that that, that part was a flash forward. Um, yeah, yeah. But this first part, if we want to kind of start with them, um, mm -hmm. I thought that this was, I mean, I just, I always love the way that they do their domesticity, that where they share the sink. And, you know, like, I, I thought it was sweet. interesting. This is the most intimate we've really ever seen, you know, Jimmy and Kim lying there in bed like that. Yeah. And and you, you made a note it. too about her leg being like how she was more uncomfortable yeah, than she, him. Yeah, she was very uncomfortable. Like her arms all mm -hmm. bent backwards. Um, 
But, you know, I also took notice when I was thinking about how we don't see them in this sort of situation, you know, not even sexually, but let alone just intimately lying, you know, in bed naked. But even when we see them out and about, I I think that they always kiss each other on the cheek goodbye. They do. Maybe that morning. And I I wondered how much that was a vestige of, you know, their professionalism because they're lawyers. They were working in the same office when they got together a bit. I, I don't know how much that affected just how they are. You know, it's weird. I think my own, um, I guess, what do they call it? Your head cannon, right? That you have mm-hmm. you're kind of going along in the show was always that that was on Kim. Okay. You know, that Jimmy was so outgoing. Like it was a way of him showing respect and being res- more reserved in his PDA mm-hmm. with her. Yeah. But that's just kind of how I always read it. Yeah, that's. I think that uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but we get this whole thing where they have their little talk in front of the apartment, which was interesting because we had them both pulling in last episode. Now they're both in front of it, and it's the morning, right? It's like opposites. Um, and he says what he's going to do, and she proceeds to say, you know, she's got to clean up the Mesa Verde mess, and still – She's sweeping up the glass, right? Like he's like, someone else will clean it up. She, while she's on the phone, it's like, we talked a little bit last episode. Maybe her throwing the bottle was like her making a decision to move forward in some way. And maybe that decision is to kind of bring Jimmy into the Mesa Verde thing. But it's like, still Kim is, she just, her intentions are always good. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was going to crack a joke about how I really wanted the, the, the satisfaction of seeing her finish that job. You know, <laughs> she just it, it, her last shot, there's a ton of glass everywhere. But yeah. now I started to think about how it's not actually that um, just humorous because she didn't clean up all the debris. If you think about it that way, that she can't quite get uh, all of the mess she made cleaned up. That's interesting. Yeah. No matter, you know, it's like, uh, what, what's like the, 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 what's that Hamlet or Macbeth, the blood on the hands, you know, like mm. she kind of can't erase it. And it's this oscillation of going back and forth. And do you want to talk kind of like about Kim this episode? And I think after where where we, after, after she leaves here, I think the next time we see her is the meeting. She goes to the meeting. Yeah. Yeah. She goes to that meeting with Mesa Verde. Uh, You know, she has this pretty good alternative, but I think it's also pretty reasonable and easy to understand why they wouldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, it's a business. They're a company. Yeah. She wasn't convincing enough. That wasn't her department. Maybe if Paige had, you know, been uh, gung-ho about it, it would have happened. But Paige just seemed irritated by Kim. I think she just wants this to be done. Yeah, there is, you know, there's a subtext there. And there, there's, uh, we, we've seen it with her interactions in the second episode when she's called out to go there. Uh, or wait, well, that was last episode. Yeah, the third. And, yeah, and and the way and last season when Jimmy kind of made 
ended up making fun of her boss and other people making a kind of a scene at the party that maybe our fear of him infecting her job is already happening. You know, like she's done this. She seems less gung ho to them. It's seeping through. Um, Mm -hmm. I, and I can only imagine she, she tries her best like you were saying, to kind of use their logic, you know, um, about this could make money. And in the end, this can be a pro we can sell this property, but it's also like they kind of, I feel like Paige at least knows why she's doing it. Yeah. That it's about, and Yeah, I mean, she sees her go back. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I think that that's like, you know, it, it's, it's maybe too late. That's the good thing about this show is that things happen off screen, right? Like mm-hmm. their relationship, w- we see just these meetings, but in the meantime, they might be having other meetings where they're like, what's up with Kim? <laughs> right? Like she's doing yeah. so much pro bono work and she was so gung ho before. And it's like, maybe they're even saying like everything changed after the car accident. Yeah. Like she just hasn't seemed the same and involving Jimmy with it too, which is what eventually happens. Are these the mysterious friends that Jimmy and Kim reference? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think they have much good to say about them. That's the, you know, I don't think they want, I don't think that'd be such a great, uh, come over and watch the bachelor at <laughs> Jimmy and Kim's, <laughs> you know, if you can only imagine that, um, but I think the next time we see Kim is where she is um, showing up at the courthouse to watch yeah, Jimmy. And she, yeah, and she's really nervous before she goes in there. She's like, I don't know if I want to see this is my interpretation, right? I I think so. I think that she – I think she realizes that it's going to affect she knows she has to go in there and she wants to talk to him about what's his name's is it Everett or Everest? I think I might have got this wrong last time. Uh, Acker, just call him his last Let's call, name. Okay, Acker. Acker. We're gonna call him Acker. So I think she's already nervous about the Acker thing, and she's smart enough to know that she's gonna see him go off in the style that she wants to use for her purposes, but that also has caused so many problems in his life and their relationship and his new, you know, I'm Saul to everybody. I think Mm -hmm. it's just, you know, she's internalizing all of this emotion. Um, but it's tough. Yeah. I think when she sees it though, I think she is actually amused and thinks it's a bit clever and it's great questionable, (laughs) but I I think she's pleasantly surprised that it is actually decent what he did. Oh my God. This whole scene. I mean, come on the suit and the, (laughs) if you look at the back of the court, can you please stand up? So like it's the oldest. I love the judge's reaction. She goes, Oh, Mr. Goodman. Like she's, so used to him and that's the thing is like i think um there may be some who are watching thinking oh he's trying to win the case but he was trying to get the mistrial from the beginning he knew that this was not a thing you could do you know you can't do the perry mason stand up in the back of the court thing that's not legal 
You know, it's mm-hmm. going to mess everything up. Um, yeah, that whole scene was fantastic. And there was a great, this, this episode was a little more subdued on, um, I, I think on the cinematography and direction level. And yeah. I think that was because they had a lot to cover plot wise and narrative wise and character development. And they took even, um, the scene with Jimmy, trying different things to throw was probably the most kind of like non-dialogue-ish scene. Mm. Um, And of course the end took up so much time, but um, there was a part where Kim is just sitting there and the courtroom is full and then they just do a fade while everybody walks out and then it's empty and she's like the only one there. And then he appears and that little subtle kind of editing note really spoke a lot to me about how Kim is kind of she's that's how she always is. You know, she's kind of like an Island and I love her so much as a character and I worry for her. I think we're all like worried for her at this point, but I'll tell you, Oh, go I, ahead. I, you go on, you can go on. Ahead. I was just going to say that I can't help but feel like she she wants it that way, you know, like she pushes away the world and she, mm. she doesn't deal with things and mm. that bites her in the ass. Mm. Um, I was going to say you were, you were bringing up Kim, uh, whether you worry about her and we were talking about her dying, right? Yeah. In retrospect, when I think about it, I, I, don't think they're going to kill her. I think Gilligan and Gould are well enough aware that the audience will be mad. If they fridge the one woman in the show for Saul's man pain, yeah. I don't think it'll go over very well in today's climate. I would. I, I hadn't considered it until recently, but when I thought about it, I was like, there's just not other female characters, and this is a big trope that people hate. That That is true. I, I that's That's undeniable. I think that when they are figuring things out, I think that may be a consideration, but I think the story takes them where it takes them, you know? Um, but it's funny you should mention it because this episode made me feel less worried about her dying and, and more worried about her just losing like, her law license, just her respect her, of who she is, you know, because as we found out with that little story, she told Acker about growing up. Um, that's why kind of Kim is this like hyper working type a things have to be in a certain way, clean up, you know, she's cleaning up the mess in the parking lot. That's the mess of her mom, Right. That's yeah, the but mess again, of her I just, childhood. I don't think she's possibly cleaning up all the mess, especially when you consider yeah. not well, all their bottles true. hit the same spot. <laughs> no, I, like, I, I think the metaphor around. is very yeah. I think your the met- metaphor, but I, I still, if you extend that, you can you can look at how the fact that she just can't clean it all up. There's there's yeah. uh, you know going to be even more damage beyond what she just sees in her view and has control over. I don't know. Yeah, no, and that's kind of her struggle. Right. And that's her struggle with Jimmy. And maybe it's one of accepting that, right? Accepting that she can't clean it all up. 
Mm -hmm. um, that not only is it not her job, but it's not healthy for her. You know, it's not all her mess to clean up. That that's yeah. a good way of saying it too. Like Jimmy's not cleaning it up. As a matter of fact, he tends to add to it. <laughs> right? Yeah, like- <laughs> and I don't know how I feel. I mean, like that. Yeah, they they did make a huge mess, but they do also pay an extra premium for there to be someone to do that. So I don't think it's that. <laughs> I don't think it's that bad for Jimmy to be like, no, let's go to work. I, we we partied a little hard. What would that you do? Me where I, I, it depends. Honestly, it I, just depends. I would how much have am to I paying? How, how much am I paying for my my apartment? I don't know. If I'm paying way more than I think I get out of it, then yeah, I'll leave it. See, yeah, I would I would have that inclination. You would always, I'm, I'm the type. You would always. I, yeah, I would probably okay. clean it up. Even I, if you thought you were paying significantly more yes. than your little apartment was worth, I, okay. I would probably not even be able to throw the bottle. <laughs> yeah, th- that's that's a good point. Actually, I wasn't taking into account that I don't. I would never, ever, ever throw that bottle. Yeah, ever. That's the thing. I think that's so. The, I, I yeah, you make a good point there. <laughs> that saved me from being a terrible person. The fact that I wouldn't have thrown the bottle. Yeah. If I just dropped the bottle, I also wouldn't feel as culpable though. And I'd be like, well, I can clean that up. That's true. That's that's why I thought originally she was just going to kind of edge it, but she she threw it. What now? We do have we had the whole throwing of the bottle, and to complete it into what happens here, which is that she enlists Jimmy to kind of run a scam, right? On yeah. Mesa Verde, it seems like. What do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, Jimmy said he fights for the little guy, you know, he's the David against the Goliath, and he's talking all that, and he's the man fucking the horse. (laughs) But uh, the exact angle they're at, I wasn't sure of, but my best guess is that it has something to do with making Mesa Verde look bad. Using his theatrics to make them look terrible so that they just have to settle, they have to do something Mm -hmm. like what Kim suggested. Yeah, yeah. Not that she doesn't think he'll win, obviously, because the law isn't on his side. It's similar and exactly, I think, you know, they're so smart on this show. Um, it's the same way that when when Kim entered his – when Kim entered Aker's property, she picked up this thing on the ground and used it to unlock the lock. And this time we get a nice little shot of Jimmy using the pen, like kind of like mm. he's going to kind of like – use the law like and it's similar yeah. to the scene that we saw in the courtroom that's what she wants him to do she doesn't want to win she just wants to gum up the works yeah she's not trying to have him do some really underhanded something to beat mesa verde right. exactly she just wants him to make it so it's more of a problem for them to do this than it is to just move it to the other side like she already suggested right and then she kind of comes out but my fear is that with already what we've talked about how their note page is noticing her behavior several people there are noticing it then this comes in how long is it them is it going to take them to figure out that acker's lawyer is jimmy yeah, because that's my question is how aware is Schweiker and how aware yeah. Paige and Mesa Verde of Jimmy and Kim's relationship, let alone Saul Goodman, period. She took him to the party. Exactly. The lawyer, like the law community there, I'm sure isn't that massive in Albuquerque that 
they know each other. People just, they, they would know each other. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that this is not, it's, it, it, it it's not going to work because we have seen their, let's see, it was their, uh, Huel switching the plans for Mesa Verde, giving Jimmy his license. These all worked and they worked mm-hmm. like kind of, but the last one, they're kind of progressively getting worse. And the last one is after he got the license, when she kind of fooled him, I'm uh, when I should say he fooled her. And she was taken aback by the whole speech switch that now I fear he, she's not going to be able to control what he does. It's either going to get too big or it's going to reflect bad so badly on her that she loses her job. Mm. No, I think that's kind of probably the way that we're headed. Would you not agree? Yeah. I think that is the most likely bad, you know, devastating, sad, heartbreaking end for Kim <laughs> is for her to lose her her position, the job not, she worked yeah. so hard for. Although, again, I still wonder if she's disbarred, if, you know, whatnot, it, what is extreme enough that she can't claw her way back and eventually, you know, reapply and all that. I, I'm not sure or what. It just makes her feel bad enough to not even want to try. Yeah, I don't know how final it is. Yeah, I guess. Well, but I, as of now, I don't think she's going to die. Yeah, I hope not. I hope not. And actually, I, I'm I'm good with a with a with a Kim show if they want to do it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like honestly, if they want to leave us off with a cliffhanger, um, with uh, the black and white and Gene, and then bring us up to speed with a Kim show that takes place like when the breaking bad is concurrent and then they meet up or something. I'm all for it because I think it would be awesome uh, to have a show all about Kim. But I think for our intents and purposes, what this could at least spend a spell, the end of is their relationship. Mm -hmm. And, and that would be heartbreaking too, because we see, I mean, you know, we, Jimmy slipped all the way to Saul, but we still love him. But um, speaking of that, we get some G- we get some good Jimmy stuff, and we get to see Sticky and Ron again. Yeah, they, they don't <laughs> want to get kidney stoned. I love it. Is like Breaking Bad is slowly infecting the show, right? Like now we've got mm-hmm. our meth heads, right? Yeah, we got Sticky and Ron, which are our Skinny Pete and Badger, basically. Exactly. Sticky's- very like they're strikingly similar, very much on purpose, but greatly inferior as they don't have that nerdy tone of Skinny Pete and Badger that I think we all love so much. Yeah, yeah, they're just <laughs> chaos. Yeah, yeah, Sticky and Ron are just chaos, just dumb. Yeah, <laughs> they are definitely throwing the bottle each and every time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's always yeah. their idea, and this was interesting. I, to I did. Me. Oh, go ahead. I, Oh, yeah. I was going to point out, though, that Jimmy points out that they didn't have any prior misdemeanors, which I think points to the concern that Kim had about him encouraging crime. And he's like, no, no, I'm not encouraging crime. I think that shows us that, yeah, it did, you know, kind of make them do it. Not make make, but they were more encouraged. And they and they mentioned the 50 percent off, too. (laughs) Yeah, I think that was emphasizing this point. Yeah, that's a great point. It made me think in, in relationship to Kim, it made me think about the way that he tricks them into taking the deal with just his 
Saul way. And the way that Kim, when she was trying to get the guy with the family to take the deal, she was being so lawyerly and by the book, you know? Um, and it's just that contrast. And then, it, and with her then asking Jimmy to come in on the scam, it just makes you think, you know, man, you know, it's just like the, you don't want to think that the show is telling you it's better to be a criminal, but uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe Saul's I mean, got you know, the I right idea. You that law and order isn't always correct. Yeah. Yeah. You have to question exactly. it. And yeah. that's true. I yeah. mean, that's why we have the right to protest and all these, you know, yeah, definitely. Most definitely. That's true. It, it does. Well, it shows just like any human construction organization, it has its faults and there's, you know, things that, and it doesn't always work going by the book. And speaking of that, we have a little bit more of Jimmy becoming Saul, where not only does he you know, kind of push them into taking the deal, which is probably better, but yeah. But, yeah. I wonder how much he yeah. exaggerated things. That's I, I was wondering exactly. the whole time, like five years, I guess that's uh, throw the book at them. Okay. Yeah. And especially they didn't have any priors, but he also I mean, they did a lot, but yeah, I, I don't know if I believe him. <laughs> like how much did they get caught? Um, but he also offers to get them to fake, to fake uh, rehab for an additional fee. Yeah, that was really interesting. I'm very curious uh, how we're going to see that play out, who he knows. Yeah. Yeah, but it shows he's so, you know, because he's so quickly becoming the Saul of Breaking Bad that little things like that, if he had offered something like that last season, you know, we think of what a big deal that would have been. Oh, wow. Right. But now mm -hmm. it's just natural. He is because when he's in the game, he is in the game. And mm -hmm. I think it's just like it was a subtle thing that really caught me. Taking a little break to remind you of our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. This season of Better Call Saul on Daily DVR is presented by them, our awesome presenting sponsor for over a year now. As I said in the intro, they've got some great stuff coming out. Go and pre-order some of those The Child products. And you know, anytime you have an event coming up, head over to the blog at cufflinks.com, reach out to them. They will help you out. They're there to help you. And if you regularly check the site, they've always got sales going on. That's why I say just go over to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Check out the awesome sales. You can use our code DVR20, or you can use one of the codes that you'll find on the homepage. They've got it all. Look good when you step out in the morning. Elevate your style. You have a personal style. Make it, baby. Cufflinks.com today. One of the best parts about podcasting is getting to know the listeners and making new friends. And one of those friends is Andy. You may have heard me mention him before on one of our many podcasts. And Andy and his wife, Claire, are looking to adopt so if you or anybody you know is considering adoption for their baby, please consider the loving family of Andrew and Claire. They're a home study approved adoptive family of three living on a farm in southern Minnesota with a dog, Barney, and two turtles. They're able to adopt from anywhere in the United States and would love to answer any questions you may have. 
To learn more about them, check out their Facebook page at Andrew and Claire Adopt or on Instagram at Andrew underscore and underscore Claire underscore Adopt. You can also email them at Andrew and Claire Adopt at gmail.com. So again, if you or anyone you know is considering adoption for their baby, reach out at andrewandclaireadopt at gmail.com. Thanks. Moving on to the lunch with Howard. This was... Yeah. What did you think of this? Did you... I, You know, I mean... Painful. Yeah, it really was, wasn't it? Because I felt that Howard was being really sincere. Yeah, exactly. I, I felt the same way. And so just, you know, he's going to be turned down the whole time from the get go. And it just gets worse and worse at the end there. Howard, you know, gives him a hug. Yeah. Uh, it's, and yeah, he just feels genuinely bad. And I just, I, it, I, of all the things Jimmy has done, him doing this to Howard is one of the worst to me. And it's so mild in comparison because it just isn't a big deal to Howard financially at all. But it's like mean. It's cruel. It is. And, and, I, and I, I feel like the theme running through this episode with, uh, with Jimmy is just bad news. I mean, it was fun to see him pick out the bowling ball and that was a cute little scene and it made you think, what's going on? Is, are he and Kim now going to just start throwing things off the balcony together? <laughs> like It's becoming <laughs> yeah, like a game. Well, that's hilarious. I didn't even consider that when I was watching it. That's what that's I thought. Very- I, I thought like, oh, I okay, he's found a way to connect with Kim. They're just going to throw things off the balcony. And, and you know, he's so inventive that he'll he'll get like he'll make like a big target in the parking lot and zone it off and it was going to be fun for them but instead it's this hurtful thing to Howard who you know last episode I had or I think when we were talking about Howard I was mentioning how he really was kind of like the third brother in that group Mm -hmm. and I think he felt that way and in, yeah. in this meeting with Jimmy, I felt like it's like he really meant that, like he wants a McGill there, you know? And, and he, yeah. I, I mean, maybe it was too little too late, but what has Howard really done to Jimmy? I mean, yeah, I Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Exactly. You know? he, he's, you know, hasn't helped him out as much as maybe he felt he should. He was cold to him, sided with Chuck a bit more than he thinks he should have, but he hasn't been cruel. He hasn't, he just hasn't done anything truly bad. Yeah. It just goes against Jimmy is so uh, dead set on what he told the Esposito girl, which Howard mentions the Esposito girl, which I thought was and, awesome. And he doesn't know her name, but Jimmy does. He yep. remembers it well. Mm-hmm. And, and he, um, it, it, he, he mentions that and it's like Jimmy's stuck on that decision that they'll never let you in. And then when Howard does let him in and this thing that in many ways for seasons, we were kind of waiting. Like if Howard had gone to Chuck and said, what are you doing? Like your brother has, he's different than you, but he has a way that could actually work for our firm and maybe we can guide it, you know, but that didn't happen. But also was that really Howard's responsibility in life? To watch out for Jimmy, you know, like I mean, it isn't to watch out for Jimmy, but it is to watch out for your law firm, and it's a decision for the law yeah. firm. Yeah, I, I suppose is part of it. 
Well, I think that he thinks maybe it was, maybe he's been watching what Jimmy's been doing a little bit. Um, maybe yeah, he's been hearing about things or that he has a lot of clients or that he's working hard and he realizes it that I, I, because I don't, when he said you could really be an asset, you're a go-getter. I got the feeling that the kind of word was that he was working hard. Now he got his license and he went right out there and got a bunch of clients, but Howard kind of wanted to bring him into the fold or maybe, maybe it is a little bit of lifting him up. I think Howard always thought he was a go-getter, but I mean, he sees him still, you know, nose to the grindstone or, or whatnot. So that has to affect things. But also I think he does have some sort of like rose tinted glasses there because Jimmy is, is not actually a very good fit for Hamlin, Hamlin McGill. True. He's any type of big law firm like that. He's just going to struggle with all the hoops that he has to mm-hmm. jump through. I mean, Kim is struggling with it and she's much more, you know, open to that sort of thing. And I, it just, I, if Hamlin, I mean, if Howard knew Jimmy remotely at all, I think he would realize that this was an empty gesture. And I think maybe that's what Jimmy kind of realizes too, maybe, is that this isn't me. Screw you. That's a great point. You know, that is, that's a really insightful point that he's almost more hurt. And maybe that anger to go get the bowling balls and throw them over there and crash in and, and like specifically want it to crash into his car. Right. Yeah. Was coming from the fact of having to accept that Jimmy too was wrong all those years. He would not, he, he shouldn't have wanted to fit in with Chuck and all, you know, like seeing how he's taking to what he's doing now. It's kind of like accepting himself is still something that is so difficult for him. Accepting himself as someone that just throws bowling balls at cars. (laughs) Yeah, that's him accepting himself that he would do that. (laughs) Oh, man. It was really hurtful. Um, And the look on Howard's face kind of showed that to me as well. He had a look that it was like, why would someone do this? I know to my Namaste car. <laughs> <laughs> that, that license plate, though. I mean, it's all. See, the thing is, is that like right there. Yeah. Even though Howard is doing it so genuinely, and he is trying to be like that, how can you not roll your eyes at that a little bit? True. Even if you're not Jimmy, who has this this feelings about him, how can anyone not be like oh, the Namaste? Okay, Howard. Yeah. Well, it shows too that Jimmy's hurt, right? And in the way that Howard feels like he was a third brother, maybe if Jimmy had to really examine his feelings, he would say, I feel that way about Howard too. And I love him. And I always Mm -hmm. wanted his acceptance. And now he's giving it to me. And instead I'm saying, fuck you. You hurt me too much, brother. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to. I'm. I'd like to see more of his reaction. I mean, he'll have to. I, I would guess tell Howard to his face his uh, decision. I, I just don't. I don't know if we'll see that vulnerability, that side, that sadness from Jimmy when it comes to Howard. I really would like to. I'm not sure, but I feel like I would like to see a case where they went up against each other somehow. Oh. Now it's different worlds, you know. 
But that, that could be something because the one thing about Howard is, I don't know if he's ever been especially cruel to Jimmy, but he, like you say, he does choose the firm and what, what he thinks is right. And he can have that cutthroat attitude. I mean, there's a reason why him and Chuck work together. You know, I just had a question um, that struck me. You're talking about Howard going against Jimmy in court. Is Kim, the, she's, is she the main, the lead lawyer for Mesa Verde? Is she the one that would have to go up against you know, Saul in court? Is that like legal? Would someone else take over for her? Is that part of the plan? I don't know. That's interesting. Have we seen her do actual court for them? Yeah. Because we haven't, but they talked about a bunch of courts. You're like, you lost, you know, the judge ruled this way. But I don't think we've seen her in court for them. And I'm sure they have multiple lawyers. They have to. That's interesting. They've got, maybe they've gotten themselves into in, in deeper than they thought, or perhaps they think it'll end before it has to get to that point. Yeah, maybe, you know, that that's mm-hmm. what, because you, we've Jimmy got, just shows up and he rages, raises hell and he yells and they never <laughs> even get to court or anything. <laughs> never, never around. Yeah. yeah. And we've got to think, like I was saying before about how things happen off camera, um, we've got to think that that Jimmy and Kim have a plan that extends past this. You know that at, at least they've had a discussion that examines the implications of yeah. involving him in this. But we'll see. We shall see. Um, mm-hmm. Well, let's move it on to uh, what took up a, a kind of our other half of the episode, which is Hank and Gomi, Gus and Lyle. And this yeah. this whole thing going down together at the same time, which I just found spectacular. And I guess I said that this show didn't really have a particular, you know, little little scenes or things that I could point to. But this whole kind of um, act, I guess you'd call it, where yeah. we're going back between Gus torturing this kid Lyle – while he's waiting for the phone call and Hank and Gomi waiting outside to see the drops happen was magnificent, but I'm not quite sure I understood it completely. I must admit. I will. Um, the, the, which part, the Gus and Lyle part or well, all of it? The, the part that I, uh, the Gus and Lyle part I get, you know, these, I mm-hmm. think I, you know, the thematic nature, but yeah, I didn't we'll get, get the plot part. point of why the other two drops went without a hitch, but for some reason, it seemed like Gus instructed this guy to see them and run away on purpose. See, what I was confused about the whole time, I wasn't sure if Gus was sacrificing someone or not, that's, right? That's what I'm trying to say is I was, what yeah. I think, as far as I could tell, they said they arrested three people. Okay, but I don't believe we actually saw that. So what I thought was happening, perhaps, was that there were other people there. Are they referring to the other dead drops? I think they were referring to the other dead drops. I think the arrest. That makes less sense to me than what I thought. I was hoping it was the thing that made more sense to me. The The only thing I came up with is that originally... Um, when Gu- when Gus found out about the 
the the the whole thing with Lalo. And by the way, Lalo's not in this episode, and neither no, is Nacho. No, Lalo, no Nacho. Yeah, yeah. bummer. Um, yeah, bummer. I, I did miss them. Um, the implications of the DEA did bring it up a notch. So perhaps did Gus stage this kind of elaborate chase on purpose to give the DEA a feeling like they made a bigger bust and then it kind of makes them go away. Like they got their big bust, they can go away now. Yeah, see, for me, I thought it would. I thought his strategy would have worked well the other way. What I thought was happening the whole time was that this was the first dead drop. What the what Gus wanted to do was have a guy get away so that he wouldn't have to have them catch the other dead drops because uh. obviously they would change the dead drops. And so I was like, well, maybe we only saw the one guy get away, but there were three other people that Gus was sacrificing to get arrested. But then we didn't see them be arrested there. So I, your idea that those three people were from the dead drops, were there four dead drops or three dead drops? There were three dead drops. So then that means one of them had to have two people involved because yep. no one was arrested at this dead drop. Yep. Um, but yeah, I thought maybe Gus was trying to give himself an out to not have to um, lose all of his money from all the dead drops. But again, that has holes in it. And I'm also curious who Gus has that he would uh, sacrifice to go get arrested. Another interesting point, and, and what happens within his organization because of that, and are any of those people connected to anything else that's going on? You know, um, I, I hope that we'll figure it out. If not, we shall turn to the internet. I'll, I'll, <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to see if I can kind of figure it out because it did seem rather elaborate. Gus is waiting there. And when the guy run, when he takes off in the van, he doesn't leave the money and that's why they chase him. Yes. So that's exactly, I think he, I mean, he's putting on a yeah. show for them. Yeah. So that's what made me think it's just Gus doing his fring thing and thinking, Hey, now that the DEA is involved, we have to make this a little bit bigger and we have to put the money in a van and they chased somebody. And because it was the plan for him to leave the van there and run through mm -hmm. that sewer grate so he could meet up and get out. So that yeah. he, the plan went as it would did go off as planned. planned. But why, why have all the other dead drops work and then one doesn't? I don't understand that. I don't know. It gave, it gave us a good chance to see Hank and Gomi together. Yeah, they had that <laughs> great conversation about the majestic culverts of Spain. Majestic and I actually culverts. did look up the word culvert. And it doesn't have a clear etymology, just some options, some theories on it. Interesting. So, And some, some people are like, is it Dutch? Does it have a French meaning? Is it? Anyways, there were some different ideas people had. Maybe the person who who named it that was his last name and he's been forgotten since then. But either way, we don't know for sure. So fun fact. And I think that if you look at um, when we were first introduced, reintroduced to, to Hank and Gomi and they walked in and they were having the conversation about their wives, right? And, yeah. and food. And now they're having this conversation. Oftentimes in screenplay writing, People think that these conversations are purely character beats, 
But I think that what it shows is a little bit deeper than just, you know, having a little fun, a little, little dialogue, you know, like the McRoyale with cheese from Pulp Fiction. Mm -hmm. It shows that they're smart and that they're always thinking like Hank and go when they're talking about something, they're not just bullshitting. They're using their mind just like they use their mind on the job. And that's why, again, I don't know, Gomez a little less in this conversation. <laughs> I have to say. Perhaps, but I was going to say, when you were saying how you're not a big Hank fan, I want to try to convert you because Hank is a smart motherfucker. He is always thinking. He never, he doesn't just look at something and go, eh. He kind of, he always wants to examine things and turn them that's, around. That's not the, 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 the personality trait that that makes me just love a character. He's just kind of an asshole. He's just gruff. That's true. He can just be rude to people. I think. Yeah, that that is true. But the, in this in this scene, I thought it was no. I so it was, I was actually thinking as I watched it. I was like, and of course, the week after I I said I wasn't a big Hank fan. They had a very funny conversation. They did. A, a, I was amused by it, but also that's such a s- small short bit of. The Hank stuff, of, yeah, overall, or those of course. little tiny conversations he has. Of course. But those are real good. But I think it's cool that if you're watching, and who knows how people are going to stream the show, if people decide to watch break to watch Better Call Saul before Breaking Bad, because yeah. it is the prequel, that their introduction to Hank is that he's always thinking. He, he's You're right. He caught on Saul. This is a strong introduction for him. Yeah, it is. I was thinking about a similar thing as I watched the episode, just because it's so HD, it's so high res, and I was so curious what, and everyone's, you know, a lot older, so I was so curious what the experience is going to be like going on Netflix, say, straight from, you know, Better Call Saul (laughs) Season 6 to Breaking Bad. And seeing that that weird difference, it's, it's just going to feel weird. Yeah, I know, right? Like everybody looks old. Wait, this is before. It's going to mess. And they you look up so a much bit. better, like <laughs> the camera quality. Because like I went back and watched like a cert- some certain scenes from season one and season two of Breaking Bad recently, and I was like, man, I forgot about just the how the film looked different. <laughs> yeah, that is cool. It's it's like watching. Have you ever watched Dark on Netflix? No, actually, I haven't. I have a lot of people Ooh. recommend it, but yeah. I have not. That's a crazy time-travelly one. Yeah, I will see it, um, the German one. Yep. But uh, I will say the other big difference between when you go from Better Call Saul to Breaking Bad, if someone goes straight to it, is going to be the actual stock, you know, versus 35 millimeter for um, Breaking Bad versus this, like, 4K <laughs> cameras for Better Call Saul. It's just going to give it such a different tone too. Yeah. And I think it works, you know, because Saul is slicker mm-hmm. and, and, and it's even in the, um, in the choices of locations. And when you think of breaking bad, you think so much of the desert and the heat, right. Of Albuquerque. Yeah. Whereas they only started off, um, you know, better call Saul with that. Yeah. It's interesting. It really is. Um, but I just, I loved seeing Hank and Gomi together. And I thought it was funny too, how Hank does his little speech and he's like, all right, I got to go do the little speech, you know? And he's like, great job, everybody. And beers on me. <laughs> that, was, that was, that was pure. That was pure Hank. 
And I thought that that was cool too, because that's what kind of clued me into the idea that that's why Gus did all that. Yeah. So they could have that kind of moment of, of um, money on the car and a guy ran away and it's a story they can tell and it makes and Lalo, them feel. when he hears it, will be like, oh, things went real poorly for Gus. Mm-hmm. There you go. Right. It kind of aids him in a different way, too. That's a smart. I hadn't thought of that. That it, it kind of makes a lot. It makes Lalo feel like maybe he got him on the ropes where Gus really actually knows and planned this whole thing out. Essentially, this outcome is acceptable, just like you know the friar is at the end and let's talk about that because i just have to say that it's things like this on this show this whole gus and lyle thing that make this the best show on tv because it's Mm -hmm. so deep and this kid lyle really wants to make gus happy you know, he's not some smart ass. Yeah, the way and the way we're introduced to him is him opening the door and telling each employee, "Great job today! You did really great. Oh, you especially did great." And then when the kid's like, "Oh, I left the fry. I didn't put the cover the fryers. Oh, I'll take care of it." But he he waits a beat to kind of give him a little. And then I'll take care of it. And then Gus is or, and you can just see the defeat in his eyes when he sees that Gus is standing in front of the fryer, you know, it was, if only he'd covered the fryer. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It was so, the whole thing was so beautiful. I feel like it really was, Oh, we could have filed, followed Lyle home after. And just seen like, oh, Gus made me, oh, I tried so hard, Pop. <laughs> he was sweating so hard. Jeez. Man. I will say, so like, you know, at first I was thinking about Gus's impossibly high standards there, mm-hmm. but then he, you know, calls it acceptable. So I started to realize that in addition to being him being anxious and waiting for the call and taking out his anxiety that it obviously represented, you know, this situation with the acceptable. But I also had a humorous thought, a personal thought, which is that it reminds me very much of how I react to the way my roommates clean the stovetop. <laughs> like, really? Do you, you think this is okay? I'll finish it then. <laughs> See, and I'm yeah. like, it's acceptable. It's acceptable. And yeah. it, it's barely acceptable. So I, I get it, Gus. I and get it. That's like, that's like uh, my wife vacuuming a bit more after I finish. <laughs> She likes to get out that tube and go under the couch and everything. Uh, sometimes I forget to <laughs> do that. You think you'd learn. I know. I know. But this was really, I just, the writing of this, the acting, um, the casting. Intercutting, the, you know, they, they don't often uh, do cross-cutting here yeah. in Better Call Saul. It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty rare. So you really take note when they do. And that was, so, he's scrubbing it and they're going back. Okay. We got the guy on the thing. You know, it's, it was just, it was so beautiful. And I just don't think that there's that many TV shows where the writers or people working on it even think that they can kind of go this high, you know? And I'm just glad that they try to do it and they succeed episode after episode um, because this just brought home and also made me think that Lyle is a lot like Kim. Mm. 
right? Like try cleaning what she's cleaning up. He's cleaning up there. It's all connected. You know, those Mm -hmm. people who keep trying, who keep doing, um, and, and those who cut corners and, you know, it's just, it's, it's really, it was really beautiful. Um, all right. So let's, uh, let's end it with, on a very down note and let's yeah, talk know, a little bit right? about Mike. But a very mysterious, <clears throat> excuse me, but a, but a very mysterious note, right? True. <laughs> where is he? Uh, yeah. Where is he? I, my only guess is it has something to do with Gus, somewhere to do with Gus, but whether as mm. in on Gus's side or the other side of things, because I could see it being someone to do with Lalo. Right. Mm. It's rustic. There's a cross in his room. It gives you the, the vibe that, you know, this is this is a this is a Mexican community wherever it is. Not exactly not in the city there. But Lalo is the only person that isn't Gus that knows about Mike is interested in Mike. Yeah, that would have this reason to have him there. But still it seems so weird to me that he would have gotten Mike. <laughs> That's either of them. Right. Well, it, hey. it does. We do have evidence that Lalo likes to follow Mike around. Yeah, maybe he's just been following him. Let him get stabbed. That that I had now I hadn't even thought of that. I mean, the only thought I had is maybe because I I had mentioned. Remember the woman that he was involved with? Yeah, the one in his uh, group. Yeah, maybe it was her because it was in the like. This seems to be a bar that he can walk to near his house yeah um so you know usually i mean we saw him hand over the keys so maybe usually he drives but it's within conceivable walking distance maybe there's a community um but i like the idea that this somehow connects him back into the the cartel yeah that's exactly i was like we've been wondering how he's gonna get dragged back in so I was thinking something to do with that. And again, it's, it's very rustic and there's like a cross in the room. I I, I don't know. That's that's my guess. I, I guess talking about it, I lean towards it being Lalo because I just don't know why Gus would have any sort of uh, place like this. Hmm. I like to that. Take care it, of him. Whatever it is. I think it's symbolic of this journey that Mike is on. We see him, we see Stacy turn him away from babysitting Kaylee and yeah. Stacy's right. She senses that basically she's just like, something's going on with you that you got to figure yeah. out yourself. Yeah. I mean, he's not returning her call. Like yeah. that's already like to start with a bad sign. And when he's talking to her, he's like, I'm kind of irritable. He just has this dark, cloudy look about him. And and I I like I thought that that was a really nice little moment in all the insanity of this show because she was right. You know, you're just you're not right like she loves you and 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 she even took the time to say, "Oh, Kaylee's okay. She forgot about it." You know, it's not a big I, deal. She's like, "I haven't forgotten about it." Though, yeah, which is, is what she's saying. I mean, hey, we know what Mike is capable of and then going out and getting himself beat up on purpose or just looking for a fight. It's he's not in a good place. So I see this as kind of a symbolic, you know, like the hero's journey, like, you know, he goes through that and then he wakes up somewhere new where he can Mm. kind of become refreshed and, and he can find his path again. Yeah. His dark path, but his path. Yeah, it is. You're absolutely right. I was 
also wondering, just as an aside, Stacy mentions how Mike's been working so hard. Does Stacy think Mike is still working so hard at the toll booth? Is, is does she know he's working because he's giving them money regularly? It's not an important question, but either way, I wondered how much he was just straight lying to her. Does she think he's working for Gus, basically, you know, how he has that cover job for security? Eh. Yeah, I, that's a very good question. That's a very good question. I, the, what I remember is that she knew he was working security now. Okay. And that he was it was going well. And if I I may be misremembering this but i thought there was either last season i think that there was a scene where it was just kind of like she didn't ask too many questions about it mm, yeah okay you know which yeah. she probably which had to her, her she probably's getting money mm-hmm. yeah so it's interesting we'll see what happens with mike but that brings us to the end this was uh this was a great episode i mean even i guess in some respects you see this as kind of like a not not a placeholder, but like a moving the story along episode. Yeah, you know, a little intermission, a little. Yeah, yeah, but they were able to like putting the pieces together, but especially the way they put together the Hank and Gomi thing, the 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 um the pickups with the Gus thing. That just blew me away. I mean, I just did not expect that. The way they just built up on the co- on the Lyle thing, it really hit me hard. That was beautiful. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm curious. I, I basically I, I wonder what happens to Lyle. I guess I, I just kind of <laughs> keep thinking that there's we see so much of him, and he's so decent that I have a slight concern mm. that he's going to stumble onto something he shouldn't. That oh, there was a little bit of foreshadowing in that, wasn't there? Where he kind of snuck around the corner and caught Gus at the fryer. I thought you reminded me when he was walking back in and Gus was at the table. I thought, oh, is he going to walk into something here? I like yeah, that. You so up a little concern for Lyle, I suppose. All right. Well, bit. we'll see. We we are now now we have Lyle, Kim, basically everybody to be concerned about. The two awesome. blondes at least, Lyle and Kim. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens, but this is once again, thanks for doing the show with me. This is this has been great so far. I look forward to it each and every week. We'll of course be back next week. You can check us out at dvrpodcast.com, historyofwesteros.com. Any parting words that you want to share? No, I will see you all next week. All right. Peace out, everybody.